When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to The Playlist Podcast, a discussion about film news and other film or television-related items, uh, reviews, discussions, uh, whatever we're interested at at the time, uh, we're here to discuss. I'm Ryan Oliver, and today I'm joined by Adjust Your Tracking co-host Eric McClanahan. Eric, it's been a minute. How are, how are you doing, bud? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. It, it has been a minute, and you know, Ryan, I thought about this. I don't think you and I have done one of these just just you and me before. Um, I'm pretty sure. Like, we've always had a third guest. Um, and I'm really looking forward to uh, to getting intimate with you, man. So thank you ha- thank you for having me on. Absolutely. You're right. I don't think we have done one. So I'm looking forward to getting intimate <laughs> as well. Uh, before we start the episode off proper, I should mention that this uh, show is part of the Playlist Podcast Network. Um, so if you enjoy this show, uh, be sure to subscribe to us on the Playlist Podcast network either via itunes via stitcher soundcloud whatever your podcatcher of choice is uh and you'll get this show as well as eric's show adjust your tracking over under movies uh binge worthy indie beats um hopefully whatever your jam is we have you covered so with that out of the way um today we are going to um the 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 bulk of the episode we're going to be discussing the latest film from from lars von trier uh the house that jack built that had uh-huh. a yes <laughs> that had a <laughs> uh, a uh, um one night only um run of the director's cut the same one that played at the Cannes Film Festival uh last night um at the night or at the time of this recording anyway um so we're going to be diving deep into that but uh and I'm there's a lot to discuss I'm sure but before oh, yeah. <laughs> but before we dig through that muck I, I figured I'd ask you um is there any any film any television any uh media release anything that you um maybe didn't get a chance to review on ayt that you'd like to uh give a shout out that you've seen recently absolutely uh I mean, you and i were talking off mic uh just about the sheer mountain of titles that <clears throat> were collectively uh you know movie nerds and critics like us are just trying to to scale right now we're just trying to see as much as we can before we make our lists at the end of the year. And, um, you know, even besides that, there's just the sheer amount of new movies that are coming out on Netflix. Like it's just, it's out of control and it's, I guess a good problem to have, but, uh, I was, uh, uh, quite surprised to learn that, uh, one of my favorite South Korean directors, uh, Kim Ji Woon has a new movie that is out on Netflix and it only dropped recently i'm i'm gonna guess at the time of this recording maybe in the last week or so it it popped on there and the film is called um it's based off an animated film but it's called ilang the wolf brigade um and kim ji-woon for those uh who may or may not know is uh one of for me the like preeminent filmmakers uh from that south korean 
just this modern era, 2000s and on, basically, uh, modern era of South Korean filmmakers, which is just um, proven to be a hotbed of just mostly glorious genre cinema. But, uh, you know, it seems like every year or two, there is um, at least uh, one big title that captures uh, a lot of people's imaginations. You know, be, uh, critics get excited about Burning is one of those movies this year. I know it's high up on your list. Oh, yeah. Uh, as is mine. That film is phenomenal. Um, now, this new film from Kim Ji-woon, while, as I said, I'm super excited anytime he's got a new film uh, on there uh, or just available, and, you know, that's an exciting thing. I will say that this movie is a mixed bag. Um, it's got some great action sequences in it. Um, it's, it's done in the style of like hit, like at times it's just over the top action style, not unlike, um, another recent Netflix movie that dropped in there in the last couple of months called the night comes for us. I don't know if you've caught up with that yet. Have you? I have. Yeah. I was, uh, big, oh boy. Fan, big fan of the action of the movie. That's, that's for sure. That's, that's the reason to see that movie. And I would say while the action in this film can't quite live up to just the sheer insanity of the night come for us that that one's more memorable and seems to push the form further. Uh, this one is also sort of just for me, enjoyable in the style. Kim Ji Woon always will give you a couple sequences or shots to just, you know, he's a flashy filmmaker. Um, he made the good, the bad and the weird. I saw the devil tale of two sisters, a bittersweet life. These are some of his like top tier, great movies in my opinion. Uh, the Wolf Brigade is not one of those. I would say it's it's kind of something that's a bit of a mixed bag, but I liked more than, say, his, uh, his you know, sort of uh, misjudged, I'd say, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, The Last Stand. I liked it more than that. But even in that movie, The Last Stand, there was some memorable action beats to it. You know, there's something always worth, uh, you know, seeking out and enjoying in a Kim Ji-woon film. So certainly glad that Netflix is um, finding him worth, uh, you know, uh, getting his films on their on their you know streaming service that's that's a great thing and it's something to celebrate. Um, but yeah, mixed bag. I will say this is an interesting new era for this director right now, where his his plots and his narratives seem to be getting more labyrinthine and kind of overly complicated. And I don't know how good that is for him. Uh, I don't know if that serves his strengths as a filmmaker that much. So I was admittedly kind of lost with the the threads in this movie. Um, and not unlike his previous one, which got a very little brief release, but is also on Netflix and worth shouting out, is called The Age of Shadows. Um, that film, I actually would say, is even more worth seeking out. Um, that's kind of like Kim Ji-woon doing a Jean-Pierre Melville film, something like Army of Shadows or, you know, in the vein of like Le Cercle Rouge, those great films that he put out. Um, so really, that's, this is just a long roundabout way of saying I'm glad that this new filmmaker has something on Netflix. Um, it's worth seeking out if you're a fan. I don't know if it's going to be the one that is like where you should start with him. So if you're new to him, maybe seek out some of the earlier work. But um, The Wolf Brigade or Ilong The Wolf Brigade, that's uh, that's what I've been watching recently. And, you know, not not crazy about it, but glad I saw it for sure. I'm I'm a huge fan of him as well, and I uh, it is crazy as you mentioned this Netflix age that a new movie by at least a notable director in a cinephile circle like the ones that we sort of travel in um, yeah. is kind of dumped on the service unceremoniously like <laughs> so like weird. we had no idea that this movie was out and then all of a sudden this prominent filmmaker uh that many of us are fans of like i'm i'm a huge fan of i saw the devil um yes uh bittersweet life which we we discussed on an over under movies i believe yes you, you uh introduced 
uh, us to that movie, which was pretty pretty great movie as well. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> yes, thank you, Eric. So I I I, uh, I look forward to catching up with this movie. Um, as we kind of mentioned off mic, the sort of dearth of awards movies that are coming out or, or not even just for awards, but like there's just been good movies period. Out I know. Right now. So it's just been, uh, it's been a hard time catching up, but um, you know, during, maybe during a couple of days off in the winter, I'll uh, have some time to, to check out along the wolf, along what's it pronounced? It's the wolf brigade. What's yeah, that? that's that seems easier. Just call it the Wolf Brigade, but it's Ilong colon the Wolf Brigade. Ilong, but yeah, the Wolf Brigade. I would say okay. scratch this itch when you need like to just watch kind of a, a just a movie that you're going to enjoy at least on an action level. If you just need to like rinse off a bunch of dramas or something like that, give it a give it a whirl. But yeah, you, I don't think you need to rush. There's as you said, it's too much good stuff right now, man. It's insane. It is, absolutely. Um, speaking of rinsing off uh, between dramas, uh, <laughs> what I what I did this Thanksgiving that I want to give a, a shout out to um, during the summer, uh, I believe I think when Octane I reviewed the Equalizer two, I gave a shout out to the last drive in marathon with Joe Bob Briggs. Uh, this is this is a Shutter exclusive. Um, in the summer, it was a twenty four hour movie marathon. Uh, hosted by Joe Bob Briggs, who used to host the uh, the at the drive-in at the Movie Channel in the late '80s, hosted Monster Vision on TNT through the '90s and the early 2000s. Uh, came back for what was supposed to be one last hurrah, um, but it was so popular and so popular that Shutter's live stream biffed out the gate at the start of the um, marathon. That uh. yeah, it, for the one during the summer anyway, they got it up and running, but but it was so popular and people loved it so much that. They greenlit a Thanksgiving special, which just aired uh, this last Thanksgiving called The Dinners of Death. They uh, aired, um, or excuse me, greenlit a Christmas one to come out later this year. And nice. and in 2019, they'll be doing a regular series. Uh, and it's exciting for those who aren't familiar with Joe Bob Briggs. He's a horror movie host. During these marathons, they play uh, a, a pretty eclectic mix of horror and genre movies. They play... S- classics like undisputable horror masterpieces they play some like fun b-movie grindhouse stuff like there's really really a mixture and um i'm not going to remember the whole quote but the final film of this marathon i guess i'll just say there were four films the movies that were watched were the texas chainsaw massacre the hills have eyes uh takashi miki's dead or alive and blood (laughs) yeah (laughs) and blood rage Um, Blood Rage being one of the only Thanksgiving-themed horror movies, so fitting that they played it. But um, before he started Blood Rage, he he went on a a long tangent, as he tends to do, about about streaming and about um, sort of the communal experience of going to the movies, something that I know you and Joe talk a lot about on, on AYT. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, they, they asked like, why, why do this uh, live stream marathon and then have these movies on VOD later? Like why, why do it uh, as a sort of live experience? He's like, so that everybody can be at least, if not watching it together, communicating with each other on social media, having a shared experience with this and have that similar drive-in experience that is, that is becoming, you know, further relegated to the outskirts. And uh, I never thought I would like shed a tear over something <laughs> related to blood rage, but I, I mean, but, but the overall message was clear that like, this is, this is here to stay. And the people who love this kind of stuff are going to continue to show up for this type of thing. So uh, I wanted to give a shout out, um, the marathons from here on out are not 24 hours like the summer one. So if that was too much to endure, there are four movies. So roughly 
eight hours. Um, and and they do make them available on Shutter uh, or through Amazon channels if you subscribe through Shutter on there uh, as VOD after the fact. So you can go back and watch them with the the Joe Bob Briggs commentary and interrupting in between the movies. And it's a lot of fun, really funny, really knowledgeable, uh, huge passion about movies, specifically horror films. But um, but yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to that because that was a lot of a lot of uh, fun to to do on Thanksgiving and and fun for my uh, my extended family to uh, indulge me in in letting me have a television in the guest room to to play <laughs> this. So uh, so yeah, just wanted to give a love. Uh, that's Dinners of Death with Joe Bob Briggs, and it is currently available to watch on Shutter. That sounds great, man. Yeah, it was a good time for sure. Um, what I'm not sure is a good time. <laughs> deep sigh. Deep, deep sigh. sigh. Let's, it's like ripping off a Band-Aid. Let's just get yep. into it. So, it. so The House That Jack Built is the latest film from Lars von Trier, as we said at the top. Uh, it debuted at the Cannes Film Festival. The The first time that he had been to the Cannes Film Festival after being persona non grata for making his off-color jokes. I think, was it Melancholia when that well, played? Yeah, yeah okay. I remember Chris Dunst in the video of just looking so, ter- like, oh, uh, she was horrified to be sitting next to him. Yes. I, understandably so, I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yes, I, I believe that was a joke, but it was a really terrible joke, and it got yeah. him banned from the festival for seven years. Uh, his last film did not play there, to my knowledge. Um, I could did be not. wrong. It did not. Okay, uh, Nymphomaniac. And, um... So it it debuted at the Cannes Film Festival to uh to a ten minute standing ovation, booze, walkouts, mixed reviews, in other news, water is wet. I mean that's <laughs> that's when I hear that I'm like yeah I guess of course that was bound to happen uh, and not just for Von Trier like the Cannes Film Festival seems to invite that sort of uh, polarizing attitude at, to the festival for reasons I can't explain. Um, <laughs> but this film seems to have had found itself in controversy every step of the way, starting with the Cannes film festival, starting with the, the content of the movie, the, the, uh, the about this serial killer named Jack, uh, the structure of the movie is told in five incidents, as he calls it, um, essentially five different murders or multiple murders. Um, so there's definitely controversy over these the the sickening content and, and how it's portrayed, uh, all the way up to even yesterday, where IFC Films got <laughs> slapped by the MPAA uh, because they they decided to do this this roadshow, this one night only showing of the director's cut uh, of as of last night, November twenty eighth. Uh, they will be releasing the R rated cut of the film, which is apparently only eighty seconds shorter. Um, of an already two and a half hour movie, uh, to, yeah, to uh, limited release, I think December 14th. Mm -hmm. And so they're already in trouble for that. But I do want to say, I think before we get into the movie proper, Mm -hmm. I will say the experience of watching this with a packed crowd of cinephiles hungry to see something they knew was going to provoke them in some way was Mm. very heartening. I, yeah. I, I want to say that like I, 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 before anything about the movie, I have no regrets going and watching this movie with like, I don't, um, I saw it here at the Civ uptown in Seattle too. 
not quite a sold out house, but a very, very packed house. Mm. How was it for you uh, when you watched it at Cinema 21, like the crowd right. size? Yeah, yeah. We had, um, so we have a, a big auditorium that we plan, as you know, and we can hold over 500 people in there. I would, I know we sold at least 300 tickets for that show, maybe more. Um, so we did well with it. That's really that's really great to just do a one-off show of any movie um, like that. So yeah, we, we had a very good crowd and it sounds very similar to yours. I was actually surprised to be honest, how many women were in the audience um, given, given Lars reputation in general, uh, the type of movies he's known to make, but also, you know, uh, we're in an era where his name came up in the last year or so with uh, controversies outside of, you know, just his films, you know, for behavior on set and stuff like that. So um, I, had to take that as we have an adventurous audience that's willing to engage with this. And yeah, regardless of, uh, and we'll get into it, how we feel about this movie. I am, I want these movies to still, some of these movies have a right to exist in the theater. And uh, I'm glad that people showed up for it. You know, like uh, the, the people spoke and I actually was very heartened by that as well. Same that, that like these type of experiences are the type that I enjoy and, and live for and um, you know not to go too far off a tangent but because uh, I know you guys kind of address this on AYT but similar thing with Mandy um, yes, and that happened yes. at this literally the same theater the same theater same auditorium that I watched uh, the house that Jack built it uh, the house that Jack built in uh, and Mandy played for like a month and a half to two months one show so time great. but just kept packing the crowds which is it's awesome so so seeing people hungry for this type of uh film going experience was really heartening and I was very happy to be a part of it yeah. now, but I do want to ask you, um, mm. I think you and I, we've, we've talked about Lars von Trier before you and I have never done a podcast one-on-one -on -one, as you discussed, but right. we talked about, uh, we talked about Nymphomaniac on an over under pre playlist days. Mm -hmm. Uh, we talked about antichrist, yes. uh, and I think you and I are on the same page from the standpoint of we take it film by film. Right. Regardless of his off-screen antics, what he said, what he's done, um, we we kind of assess it movie by movie. Mm -hmm. Now, he's coming off of what I think also both you and I might argue as his worst movie, being yeah. Nymphomaniac. I, yeah. You and I both hate that movie. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to start there because mm -hmm. early on in this movie, or maybe maybe not so much early on, but especially in after the first hour – I noticed this movie, albeit shorter, has a very similar structure to Nymphomaniac. Yes, yes it Very does. similar structure uh, in that movie with um, Charlotte Gainsbourg basically being kind of the Von Trier surrogate in some ways, at least for being a mouthpiece to spout off <laughs> uh, his <laughs> his ideals and concepts with the Stellan Skarsgård character being like the person asking the question. And there's a similar dynamic in this movie with Jack, the serial killer, and the Bruno Gantz character. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, I wanted to start there because you and I both disliked Nymphomaniac largely, I think, I mean, for many reasons, but I know that was one of them. Mm -hmm. Did this movie do anything else to overcome that sort of self-serving uh soapboxing that uh that was so evident in his previous movie and is very clear in this movie yeah i, th I think i felt 
going off of my memory of Nymphomaniac now from a few years ago, this one felt even more soapboxy in a way. Um, so it felt like more didactic, more of what I don't like in movies in general. And I, I think I'm really glad you pointed out the similarities in structure and just to the basic way that like the narration and information or I guess exposition is doled out in this movie is very similar to Nymphomaniac. And I, I, my biggest issue, like take all the, there's scenes of like horrific gore in this film to be expected. There's really just tasteless, uncomfortable Awkward isn't even the right word for it. It's just deeply uncomfortable, um, you know, just sequences of cruelty, you know, to people. Um, take all that. I can I can handle that. I'm no stranger to that stuff. That's that's fine. That can be done well, can be utilized well. I don't I feel like this and Nymphomaniac, these are not film stories. The the ideas he wants to work out, Lars von Trier, these seem better served for like an essay <laughs> or a fucking podcast. Like, how about Lars von Trier just talks it out with somebody and equates he could he could have the the equivalent dynamic that he has in both these films that I just find as movies shockingly boring, to be honest. I I I was surprised how dull this movie was, but I guess I shouldn't be because Nymphomaniac, that was my biggest, biggest issue, um, at least with pretty much 95% of Nymphomaniac was that it was just surprisingly dull for him. Uh, but then I got angry in that movie from the actual last scene, which is just one of the most <laughs> misjudged. <laughs> exactly. Just one of the most misjudged even for him of just like, wow, okay. Um, it's just such a fuck you to the audience. Um, so I would say House That Jack Built finishes stronger, actually a little bit more memorably, or there's more to chew on, I think, for me personally, with where it ends. But um, yeah, a similar kind of like um, – his filmmaking still has these sparkles of like hints of like a beautiful shot here and there. But I see that less and less in these last couple of movies. And I'm seeing a, a guy that is kind of run out of ideas and is, is sort of not making good movies right now. And um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's a lot more to dive in, but that's, that's kind of the, the, the main takeaway I have at this moment, a day away. Um, I'm sure you're still unpacking it. Um, but like, you know, how about you, man? You're speaking my same language. I want to. <laughs> I want to start with the the biggest thing is the non filmness of the yes. movie. That's yes. that's the thing that struck me the most because, um, I have no problem with him trying to convey these his ideas. I mean, that's that's what a filmmaker does is they're conveying their views or or their their ideas through the medium. That's just how it works. But he has done that in the past to such strong results and has made it filmic. Like, I would say that this is the epilogue, not just because this movie has an epilogue, to to his Depression trilogy, quote-unquote. Right. To, right. to Antichrist, Melancholia, Nymphomaniac. This is... This is a further extension of that, of those ideas, of working through the the personal demons that he has displayed in those movies. But despite my mixed feelings of Antichrist, and I, I like Melancholia a lot. Um, Me too, yeah. But those movies are conveyed in a way that that make their movies like they function as movies. And I, yes. I think and I look back like I think last night there are moments, I think, especially in the first hour of this movie that like there are moments that do sparkle a sort of mixture of like uncomfortable black comedy 
Like, I do think yeah. there are sequences or at least spots in this movie where I think it shines as a sequence in and of itself. And I do think the finale is more memorable. And whether or not I'm ready to sort of accept his, his, um, his, I guess, whatever you want to call it, his like plea for help, uh, that this movie. I, I think shows in the end and maybe, you know, we can get into some spoilers whether or not I'm willing to uh, accept his apology or his whatever. The fact that he's putting mm. that out there, I at least kind of appreciate, but it's also in done in a way that's mm-hmm. so, so gratingly self-serving, uh, especially yeah. when it gets into musings about like art and <laughs> creators and creations mm. and our like how we react to it. Uh, I'm pretty sure 30% of this movie is stock footage. Um, yeah. It's ridiculous. And and it's, it's like you said, it's dull. A- and a movie that should be this, I feel like I should feel strongly one way or the other about this movie. W- you know, given the subject <laughs> matter and given what, like, what he can, what he can do as a filmmaker. And, and I don't, I'm kind of like left with a shrug. Uh, yeah. I w- yeah. But I will say, I did. I don't hate this movie, but it definitely mm-hmm. is a lot of the problems that I found with Nymphomaniac. I think this is a better shot movie than Nymphomaniac for sure. Um, okay, especially okay. in the finale. Um, and and maybe I'm yeah. wrong. Maybe because I watched Nymphomaniac at home, I watched it on VOD both chapters. So I I don't know if I missed something, but it did look a little bit more cinematic and akin to uh, his previous two films before Nymphomaniac, at least more so than that movie did. So. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm still unpacking it. His little video at the beginning said it's meant to digest over a couple days, but like, you did get that too. Yeah, that yeah, intro. Yeah, that was the funniest part of the night for me. The best I'll thing. be honest. Yeah, same here. Never another started... Trump is what he said, and that was. Oh that my was, god! I was the audience cheered, which that was. We laughed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was. It was good. So with that intro, I just I couldn't escape the thought. He's only on there for like 30 seconds, um, and he he doesn't look good. Our spot your ear, but uh, uh, he he looks like there is a cry for help going on there. But uh, he he, I just thought to myself, when did he become Tommy Wiseau? Like he has this sort of awkward reading, uh, of like you can laugh, you can cry, uh, and then yeah, the the never another Trump line uh did get a cheer, and uh, I thought it was pretty hilarious uh, way to kick off the movie, and I did not know we were gonna get that, so yeah, so that was nice. But yeah, you make a good point. Like he didn't look very good. Like I felt concerned, which I I don't know if I could ever said think that I've thought that about Von Trier, um, like personally. And so, uh, yeah, I I just uh, but it doesn't. You know, he said it's meant to take a couple days to unpack, but it doesn't take me that many days to realize that like ah, this movie's really frustrating, and and I think dull, and and I think like it's one of those movies where maybe some revelations might click a couple days, but like, do I care? And is right. it one of those things that like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, steal a Joe Joeism for a second that like someone <laughs> might go like, I might say, well, yeah, but this was this and didactic and whatever. Well, that's the point. Well, fuck your point. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't care. Um, so yeah, I think that's the thing. And I do think that, that he, you know, he's trying to, I don't think necessarily make amends, but he's like, yeah, I've been misogynistic and I've been like a tortured artist and it's shown through like the treatment of women in this movie. It's shown through that concurrently with the, um, with the, the, the awful 
killings that he is trying to build a house, literally build a house. And he, and he keeps getting frustrated right. and he keeps tearing it back down. And so that's Lars saying that like, I keep trying to make a, a masterpiece, I guess. And, and it doesn't work. So I go back to the drawing board and it's just like, I'm like, you're right. It, an essay or a podcast would be a better form for this. Yeah. So he even adopts the, the, the structure of a podcast or, you know, it's this, it's the movie really just adopts this conversational narration between Virgil, Bruno Ganz's character and, and Jack, you know, Matt Dillon's character. And it brings us through the movie and that could have, there's just not enough visual ideas going on for me. And, and um, you said there's a lot of stock footage use. There's just a lot of repetition too. There's an actually kind of beautifully articulated point. I thought the first time um, there, there's an analogy to how Jack feels when he's compelled to murder that he has this analogy to um, walking under a light and his shadow grows one way in front of him and then lessens and then grows behind him. It's actually kind of like a well-crafted, well-worded explanation. I, I, I was appreciating that, but then the movie goes back to it, you know, three, four, five times that image pops back up. The stock footage of Glenn Gould, who he seems obsessed with comparing himself to comes up a lot. There's just a lot of just sort of things where it makes it un. it's like not a pleasant experience, not because it's so gruesome and controversial. It's just like dull filmmaking. It, it, I kept falling back to that where I was, I was just like, you used to you used to like make these things worth watching, worth worth going through. You missed used to make them cinematic, and um, I was just I was grasping at straws for. While I, I will also acknowledge, I don't think this movie is absolutely terrible, but I don't have that much um, excitement for it beyond just like I'm glad movies like this can exist in a cinema right now. Still, that's good, and you know some people are going to like it probably more than us. But um, yeah, I was I was grasping at straws with this movie. So much of it. Same, same. I mean, that's that's really all I have, like, it, it, before, like, getting into a spoiler discussion, which I think maybe we can uh, a pivot to here shortly. But but that's that's how I felt. And um, like I said, I was I was kind of, you know, I was open to it as as one should be it, it, from the standpoint of like, I'm here. Mm -hmm. I don't want this experience to be miserable. Like, I'm here because I have liked this filmmaker's work in the past. So I, I'm going to try and get into it. And I, I think for the first hour I was, but I do, I think there's a, I also think that like, and it's, it's obvious also that the arc of the movie sort of parallels his filmography as well from the standpoint of like yes. you know it's a little bit like the uh jack's a little bit inept in his um <laughs> in his attempts to kill and it's not that Lars Trier was inept as a filmmaker but like his, those early movies have like a sort of lack of shine to him I guess you know like your element yeah. of crime your Europa and then you know it gets a little bit he gets a little bit better and gets a little bit more uh a little more coarse a little bit more um provocative clearly as yeah. as the murders get more brutal and then and then that that crippling like self-doubt comes in which is kind of where we're at currently so um right maybe but, before we do do spoilers real quick i wanted to just just talk on that a little bit if i could um is sure. the the and i think you were saying it before too of like this movie is a major element of self-critique to it where he is trying to examine himself and that analogy isn't bad right like this house that he constantly wants to build but actually never gets to uh and of course you know the virgil character nicely chastises him for that like i thought you wanted to build a house but all you're doing is murdering people well that parallels really nicely with lars's career because he's been sort of diverted from making good films he was like a serious filmmaker that was trying to make art and he might still 
think that or want to do that, but it seems like now he's gotten lost in the murder, the, the provocation, you know, he did a movie that was a two part overextended sex odyssey. And now you do the serial killer story. It just, it, it, he's, he's, as he's leaned into the shock tactics, as he's followed that arc that Jack's story does in the movie, he's become less interesting. And, um, I guess in the end, self-critique, sure, that's fine. I, I got uh, a major sort of metatextual self-critique element to the recent Coen Brothers movies, uh, movie, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I thought a lot of those shorts were sort of commenting, commenting on people's perception of them and their art and their, their, their work as filmmakers. But they gave me a movie worth, worth digging into that stuff maybe in the moment, but more like later on. But I also enjoyed a lot of that movie, even when some of the shorts didn't work all the time, you know, like that was a movie. It was something worth going on the ride for. Um, this is, I just think Lars Mays makes the real fatal flaw of thinking that we all care that much or that we're thinking that much about him that, Oh, we must all want to know what he has to say about all these things. And I think that's a flaw. I think it, it just proves he's gone completely up his own ass with this movie. And, you know, he, he didn't make a bad movie. He just made a kind of dully in, uninteresting one. And I would love him to get back to making movies again. That would be great. Yes. That's how I feel about that too. And, and I, I think it, it points to a larger conversation too. Um, you know, you, you, I, I have to bring it up. I, I feel like it'd be irresponsible if we didn't that you're talking about, uh, you mentioned that, you know, he found himself in the media recently, not for his movies, for right. for his actions on set, part of the whole, like, you know, post-Weinstein shake-up, cleaning house. And I, I, it goes hand-in-hand hand with that, like, do we care? And it's also, like, I used to be one of these people, and, and I think you were, too. Don't, don't, uh, I don't want to put your words in your mouth, so correct me if I'm wrong. Um, to, that there was a very clear line in separating the art from the artist, a very clear, like, yeah, I may not agree with this person in their personal life or whatever, but I could watch their movies. And I feel like that line now, maybe as I get older, maybe in, in, in the wake of of all this stuff that has happened is, is it's harder for me to do that. And so if I'm not really about, it depends on the movie, but if there's so much of the artist in the movie itself, um, and I'm not really into that headspace or what they want to talk about, then it's like, I, I kind of turn off. It's similar. Like I haven't seen the movie, the, the, the Louis CK movie that got shelved. The, oh yeah. The, the I oh, love boy. you daddy. Yeah. Yeah. Which I all know right. that's, that's all you need to say. That's mostly it's a good example though. But Great like, example. but does, does, does it seem, and I, I haven't seen it, but from what everything I've heard, there's like a parallel of like, almost like an admittal of guilt, like an admittance of guilt. Uh, and it admitted it's an eerily similar parallel, I would say, actually, I for whatever reason, the movie didn't occur to me last night, but th- they would make a deeply uncomfortable double feature for the reasons you you are absolutely right, man. There's a weird metatextual thing to that movie, too, that whatever we learned, we've learned about, you know, what we've learned about Louis C.K. since or when the movie came out, it wouldn't have mattered. The movie just also doesn't work. It's this up its own ass. Right. You know, thing. It's it's not a good movie. And that's where it's like failures like lie first and foremost, you know, uh, but it's a great it's a great comparison. Yeah. Got it. OK. That And that that's what it seemed like to me. And then but again, yeah, the thing is, this movie just doesn't work as a movie. If it worked as a movie and we could judge uh, what he was trying to convey through it uh, a little bit better or a little bit cinematically, then that would be great. But 
Unfortunately, yeah. it just isn't. But I do want to I do want to at least note one other positive of the movie that I don't think people are are us included or so mm. um you know talking about Von Trier that I at least kind of want to give it a shout out to Matt Dillon, who I've always liked as an yeah. actor. Yeah. And he hasn't really I haven't seen him get like a lead role to chew into in a long time. And so um you know, whether nobody else wanted to work with Von Trier and it got down to him or, or maybe he was, or maybe he was the first pick. I don't want to, I don't want to dog him or anything. It's just, it's just interesting. And so, yeah, despite, it's kind of like with Nymphomaniac where like, despite everything that I hate about that movie, I, Charlotte Gainsbourg gives it her all. I, I have to say the same to this movie. I think Matt Dillon yeah. gives it his all. He, I think he does exactly what, Von Trier wants to get out of him and I think he's he's creepy like he he does this balancing act I think decently well it's just the the movie around him uh I think distracts from it yeah I would say I mean and also like he he does well and I think all there's all the things that Lars Von Trier does to like hang him out to dry too like for one like not giving him that much to work with sometimes uh, his movies often have that sort of am- improvisational extended sequence type of feel to him. Um, but it, it seemed like there was less for them to work with, but also he leans Von Trier leans into a lot of like cliches like that, like that. If you know anything about the history of serial killers, if you've watched Mindhunter or, you know, if you've read some Chuck Klosterman books, you know, like he had an obsession with serial killers where these things uh, are common. He really leans into a lot of that stuff, like the glasses that he wears. It's like, you know, the, the coat he has, the, the fact that as a kid, he mutilated, you know, animals, which might be one of the most disturbing scenes in this movie, like really got me, man. And that stuff doesn't usually, uh, you know, it, so he leans into a lot of cliches and he also builds this whole story around, the fact that he's a serial killer, serial killer that sees his work, his murders as art. I mean, talk about one of the biggest cliches from like goes back to like even maybe before the 90s. But I mean, I recently just for complete coincidental, you know, this complete coincidence. But I watched Seven uh, about a month ago, um, the the David Fincher film. And, you know, that's not that dissimilar in terms of its approach of a serial killer. It just remembers to be a great film first mm-hmm. and foremost. So, you know, it's, it's kind of getting back to that, that main complaint we seem to keep circling back to, but uh, you know, it's not the, it's Von Trier has like sort of found an interesting angle in this movie, but it's ultimately just a movie that's, you know, there are a lot of movies like that. And I can't say that about his best work or something like melancholia. He's finding new avenues to go down in an apocalypse story. That doesn't seem like a typical apocalypse story. Right. And a lot, in a lot of ways, Jack, that this is kind of a typical serial killer movie, you know, besides the, uh, the thing we should maybe get into, especially in spoilers here is, is the epilogue is where it sort of, you know, changes things and goes much further and maybe potentially more of a, an, an interesting place. Um, but other than that, it felt very common to me as well. Agreed. So. And also I, I think we're probably getting close to that point uh, to pivot over. But the last thing I'll say as, as both a, a statement and a recommendation He's made a better serial killer movie. The Element of Crime is an awesome movie. That's, his first movie. It's so fantastic. The just grimy yellows and what he does with the camera for 
you know, 1984, I think was the when that movie came out. Like, yeah. it's so innovative. So. Like, so go watch that movie. <laughs> go watch that movie <laughs> instead of this movie. That would be my plea. If you need your, your yeah. fix, but you want to see a good serial killer movie by a similar director who seems to be a shade of what that once was, then go back and watch The Element of Crime. That's That would be my plea. <laughs> good point. Cool. Well, do you want to swing into some spoilers? Let's do it, man. Let's pivot. All right, let's do it. Spoilers for The House That Jack Built, starting right now. Yeah, actually, I'm just about to watch it now, Jack. I have already seen it! <laughs> anyway, uh, at the end, there's a very unusual twist. Oh! Oh, no! Oh, no, I know there's a twist! I'm going to spend the whole film guessing what it is! Um. So before we get into that epilogue, because I think that's the thing we want to talk about most... Yeah. Uh, I, I'm wondering if this was similar for your audience there. And it was during incident three <laughs> was when the, uh, most of the audience, myself included started to turn on the movie. That was, yeah. that was the moment where I'm like, you know, I mean, watch a lot of horror movies, a lot of grindhouse movies, a lot of like old Italian horror movies and whatnot. And that are pretty violent and sometimes tasteless. Man, I will say it is nice to be reminded of your line sometimes yeah, of like yeah. where what you're not willing to. And I'm just like the the murder of those two kids was just like, all right, Ooh. I'm I'm ready to not be in this movie anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is weird because like the again, the first like hour of the movie has these like weird again, weird like they have these at least touches of of like incompetence of the killer and dark com like that just coalesce into these moments of dark comedy and then like whatever i don't know fun's the right word but but whatever (laughs) any any sort of like positive experience coming from that first hour just comes to a screeching halt yeah Uh, and then i don't even i don't even know if we want to i mean we almost have to at least bring up the whole riley keogh segment Mm -hmm. but it's just just awful like it's and, awful and, and yeah. it and it isn't just the outcome like most i i hear most people talking about the the outcome that mm-hmm. her breast could slice off but it's but it's so much worse than even that like all the build-up into it it's like how how he treats her how he calls her simple how he like is yeah. just oh my god it like it made me physically ill watching that entire <laughs> chapter it, it made me wonder why riley keogh she looked uncomfortable. I, I Maybe this is just my discomfort, right? She's an actor. She's professional. Yeah. And I'll give it to her. She did her job. I, You know, I'd say the same about Uma Thurman. I'd say the same about all the other poor actresses in this movie that really, you know, they're not even given character names. They're called like Lady One, Two, Three, whatever, you know, like right. uh, Von Trier is trolling so hard that they have to do it for him in some ways. And, you know, I'll give her credit. She did her job. But um, I really, it was one of those where I felt, it's fucking terrible for her to have to do that scene. And, um, but she, you know, she's a great adventurous actor and I want to commend that because, you know, you get pushed to the limit if you're going to work on a Von Trier movie. And she certainly did. Um, but yeah, I was, I was, um, as gruesome as the attack is that you, you referenced what he does to her. And I mean, that's not even mentioning there's like a joke that comes on later on in a different chapter where we find out what he did with one of her uh, mutilated breasts. He yeah. makes a wallet out of her mutilated breast and that got a laugh out of my audience. Me so. too. And it, and I'm just like, 
guys. <laughs> yeah, I was done at that yeah. point. I was done. And, you know, I want to reiterate what you said as well. It's like, yeah, you and I are no stranger to some gnarly, fucked up stuff. Right. Um, you know, I'm not proud to say I've seen a Serbian film, but I survived that movie. It's not a good movie either. But, you know, there are great movies that transgress in deeply unsettling and, like, kind of awful ways that are great cinema. And we've talked about one before, you know, Angst is a movie I thought yeah. of while, while watching that. Angst is a movie that also puts you completely in the perspective of a serial killer, but it does it through cinema. You know, you don't, you get narration in that movie. You get the thoughts of that, that character, but it's the, it's the mood and the visuals and all of it, the editing, the bizarre tonal transitions, the deeply up upsetting violence that happens. That's all working to create a, a nightmare, like, you know, a nightmare that you're experiencing in an, in an exciting way. If you like movies to do certain things, um, you know, I thought of so many other movies that have done this better uh, while with that, which makes these this extended sequence with Riley Keough just feel that more painful to sit mm -hmm. through and more of a slog. And, um, you know, we I'm it's not a it's not a contest. We're not here to say to name check other awful things we've seen in movies. But, yeah, occasionally some filmmakers push things to the limit and kill children off in, in these kind of movies, but the way it's done here. And then there's like, but I mean, jokes about what he does with the bodies after. Uh, yeah. yeah. That is like that. I, I guess I could see how, you know, some of my audience found it funny, but I'm like you, I was just checked out and just sort of like not in the mood anymore. And I, I just sort of thought of, um, there's this great British critic, critic, uh, Mark Kermode. He's, he's been doing it for years and years, pretty famous critic over in, in, uh, in London. And he has this thing that he always, when he talks about Lars von Trier movies, where there's always a moment in them where he utters out loud, Oh, Lars. Oh, Lars. <laughs> I think you've told and me about this before, actually. I, I might have <laughs> on another podcast, actually. Yeah. And I, I love that because I, everybody has this threshold, right? And, uh, uh, yeah, I was certainly roll, not just rolling my eyes, but just like, Jesus, man, come on. By the time he does what he does to those children, it's, it's basically like a sniper hunt with these kids and it's, and it's terrible. It's it as is. terrible as, as that sounds. And, um, to really know, like, just, just to know, no reason really other than he's just, you know, he's Jack, he's just building those bodies up in his freezer and he's just doing it. That's all he knows to do at that point. And he's lost his way a little bit. Absolutely. That that was the biggest thing of that scene was like, it's not just the actions that I'm watching unfold on the screen. It's that I cannot fathom a reason that I am watching it. Because like, even this director has killed a child on screen before, like the opening of Antichrist, which is unsettling. But it is the catalyst for what that movie is ultimately about. And so it's like, I'm sitting here going like, man, I, I, I wish I was watching that movie right now. That It's weird to fucking say, but I would much <laughs> rather be watching that movie than, than this. Um, because I at least understand the reason. I understand the reason behind that happening in that movie. Whereas I just, I didn't, I didn't understand it. It's just endlessly, needlessly cruel. Um, and I was checked out at that point. But we got to get in that epilogue because I feel like do it. I don't think it does. <laughs> it doesn't do enough to win me over. But I'm like, and I'm going to I'm going to 
take a statement that Rod said, I think on Twitter last night about the movie, that that should have been the movie. Yeah. <laughs> that I should agree. have been the whole movie. Because there's something cinematic about it, right? It's oh, just God. he's he's taken us to a place. Like the, he's the taken... shot on the the raft <laughs> with the the naked like Greek bodies holding it up was just like uh-huh. <laughs> memorable. Like that will be burned into my brain forever. I'm like, it's a gorgeous shot. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it again, it at least poses an interesting question that he has gone through all of this now in whatever circle of hell and has like one last chance <laughs> for redemption and fails. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like I have to, I have to, it would be irresponsible not to bring this up. I have to bring up Jessica Keang's review. Uh, yes over at the playlist you. yes it's uh, it's an all-timer man. it is a barn burner it is fantastic <laughs> it is one of my favorite reviews that i have read all year um and it's an f grade and i want to at least really re- read the last paragraph because i oh, think it sums it. up the entire thing in the past von trier has been defensible on the grounds of his undeniable filmmaking talent and because so much of his nihilism clearly sprang from a place of intense personal pain and depression This film, however, goes so much further in its overt horribleness that it feels like the director is standing in the middle of the road over its mutilated corpse, waving a bloody knife, and begging the police to arrest him. In (laughs) which case, the least helpful reaction we can have, and I say this as a fan of many of his previous films, is to pull back and stroke our chins and work out how to call it art. Perhaps Von Trier wants to be released from his enslavement to his own compulsive schoolboy need to provoke and offend but doesn't know how. Perhaps the house that Jack built is the kind of film you make when you fervently want someone to stop you, to save you from yourself and the demons of your own worst nature. Perhaps this time we should oblige. (laughs) (laughs) And that's kind of, that's, that's it really. Like, cause, cause again, the, the, the ending provokes an interesting idea that like, here's your last chance for salvation. And he fails that. (laughs) And then he's like, he's like, I, I like basically him saying, I have failed all of you as the viewer, as the pack that we make between artist and and viewer like i have failed all of you and it's like okay yeah maybe we just leave that in the past <laughs> um, imagine if that tension was throughout the entire movie you gotta know movie. you have a movie rod is right i agree with rod for sure yep absolutely that's 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 the thing but and, and it's so the but the one i guess the one thing i will point out about this, that whole sequence i don't like um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is the like GoPro footage <laughs> that yeah. it cuts to under the was, caves? Yeah, it was like so fucking distracting because like the 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 movie was at least like mostly cinematically competent up until that point and very gorgeous in the end. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Why did you cut to this like GoPro footage? It looks and it's a fuck- different aspect ratio. So this being yeah. a scope movie, it's you get the box within a box, but yeah. that happens a lot in this movie, you know. Like, and that's okay. Directors are fucking with aspect ratios these these days more, but um, yeah, there were like clips of his movies that are also scope movies that are Ugh. framed within it, and I was just like puzzled by that. Um, yeah, and it also, I mean, the GoPro footage you're referring to, it's like the, as they descend this like cave, it's such a cool idea, right? Right. And it, it, it did look a little, ch- a lot cheap with the GoPro, but I was like, damn, is Bruno Gans like competing with Tom Cruise for like stunt work right now? Because like they're risking their lives <laughs> to shoot this fucking scene like underwater and stuff. I was like, how dangerous was it for them to be there? Probably not. Hopefully not. But, uh, you know, a little bit of respect for, for Bruno Gans and Matt Dillon, you know, they like, they... They go for it in this movie, but uh, yeah, that um, 
it, it's such a cool idea. It's like, and the other frustrating thing is that we we learned that that was the movie we watched. It's just we weren't seeing yeah that happen. We were we were seeing the flashbacks of him telling these stories. So oh my god, it's like Lars, you had the movie, you had a movie, and um, oh Lars, oh, oh Lars, Lars yeah, you chose you chose poorly. Um, <laughs> it, 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 uh, it's just yeah, it, it's just. It's a missed opportunity and it's, um, yeah, I, 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 do you, do you have any like further like analogies or sort of like what, what the ending means for you? Like, I, I'm, I'm interested to, to hear, cause I know I feel like I've, I've dominated the conversation more than, than I usually do or like to do. So I, I'd love, I'd love to hear more about your, your take. Yeah. Well, no problem. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, it's pretty clear. Um, I'm still mulling it over that part to be honest. But generally, as we understand it, he's been telling these stories to Virgil, who Bruno Gans plays. And uh, Jessica Kiang, the very erudite critic that she is, she has a reference to who he's supposed, supposed to be in her review. So I'd say go there. But he's essentially like an assistant to the devil, basically. Or he's he's guiding him through hell, through different stages of hell. And by the end, they've descended to what Bruno Gans says or what Virgil says is, if you look over this bridge, that's the lowest depths of hell. But it looks like a never ending hole where lava is, is going down mm-hmm. and uh there's a broken bridge but if he can get across to the other side of the bridge he could work his way up and out of hell so you know the hubris of this serial killer or of Lars von Trier I guess Matt Dillon is sure that he can climb around and get there and you know about halfway through he he misses a, a ledge and and falls to his death and it's like did I have anything beyond what I'm describing as the text you know that's what we saw happen I don't know because I'm not sure there – maybe it's my own shortcomings or maybe I checked out of the movie that I wasn't willing to excavate enough. But it didn't seem like there was much else going on beyond the surface of like, look, this guy has to die. And it's like a concession Von Trier actually follows through on, like an audience concession. Usually he gives a big fuck you like in things like Nymphomaniac. This movie he kind of follows through of like this guy has to die. And you get to sort of, I guess, enjoy watching him fall from a sick pleasure standpoint. Um, but um, I, I think I just had checked out and then the credits roll and you get hit the road jack. Uh. Playing. <laughs> and I got to say that and the constant fucking use of David Bowie's fame. Thank you. Are a, Another example of like Nymphomaniac, where his song choices are so tired and so born to be on, wild in that. Born, in Nymphomaniac. Oh, it's the worst. And then it's it the ends worst. with that like cover of uh, "Hey Joe," uh, right? Where she's right. literally going thing. somewhere with a gun in her hand, and it's like "fuck you!" Like so that's, bad. it's so bad. When did he become like so on the nose with that stuff? So yeah, that just seems sort of cheeky and bad, and like and not even a very amusing way. Um, so no, I didn't really pull that much from it, other than. This is really cool because how many serial killer stories have had a dialogue with like the devil's assistant and throughout that they were going through hell. I want movies to take me to places and they only, they only did it in the fucking epilogue. Uh, so it, it was a bit of a frustration uh, thing for me. And I guess I can um, put uh, an additional feather in the cap of the Suspiria remake this year because it is the other movie this year with many acts and an epilogue uh, noted in the beginning or, you know, chaptered throughout. And, uh, you know, it, I'll go watch Suspiria. <laughs> I love that movie. I, uh, I do too. I just yeah. rewatched it. Uh, plays even better on a second viewing, which I think you've seen yeah. it twice Three, as yeah. well. Yes. Uh, and also 
uh, kind of similar ideas, but from the feminist perspective of yes. like, you know, that my favorite line, maybe not my favorite line of the year. I don't want to sound too hyperbolic, but one of my favorite lines of the year. Um, I won't say the context because I want um, um, people to see Suspiria. But uh, but at least for you and people who have seen it, when his character says, we need guilt, doctor, and shame, but not yours. So good. And it's that's kind of how I feel to the house that jack built yep. we need guilt lars and shame but not yours uh it's a beautiful no we gotta end there man right. I, I yeah i don't have any other thoughts so uh if you're good with it let's uh let's wrap this up what do you think yeah wrap it up man all righty well thank you all for listening to this episode of the playlist podcast um really happy to be back uh on the mic and and hopefully we can make this more frequent especially as uh you know the holidays become at least a little slower in the personal life, but not so much in the movie world because it's still yeah. still heating up. But um, <laughs> Eric, thank you so much for for joining me and and helping me unpack this movie. I I needed a reason to go see it other than you know just being the new Lars von Trier movie, and uh, I'm very happy that you were able to hop on and discuss this. Uh, likewise, thanks for having me, bud. Absolutely. But uh, before we sign off, uh, where can we find more of you your work? You can find me on Twitter at Adjust Your Track, and I'll, I'll put out all Adjust Your Tracking episodes there, any thoughts I might have. I feel like I've been tweeting less, maybe trying to listen more these days. I don't know. I'm working on it. But, uh, you know, I got I to gotta get a little more productive there. And then, of course, you can find all our episodes of Adjust Your Tracking at theplaylist.net. Click the podcast tab, or you'll find our episodes uh, on your podcatcher of choice, the playlist, and look for the Playlist Podcast. Uh, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ryolly90. That's R Y O L L I E 90. And uh, I'm usually mostly here on the Playlist podcast, uh, occasionally writing. I have a review for End of the Apocalypse hitting sometime here soon. So, oh, nice. Um, nice. yeah, so that'll be, that'll be out shortly. And, uh, and yeah, as always, you can find me at the Playlist podcast and you can find uh, this show as well as Eric's show, Adjust Your Tracking, as well as Over Under Movies, Binge Worthy, uh, Indie Beat. You can find us on the Playlist Podcast Network. So be sure to subscribe to us on on uh, iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, uh, whatever your podcatcher of choice is. Uh, be sure to subscribe to us. And thank you for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back.